0: All leadership really starts with self-leadership and that the way that we lead our own lives have, has everything to do with the quality of leadership that we bring to our organizations, frankly our families, our communities, our school systems, etc.
1: Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. My guest today is David Emerald Wumbledorf. David is the author of the super sticky and wildly popular book, The Power of Ted, and his newest book, Three Vital Questions. The concepts we talk about are foundational in my work with leaders and teams and go hand in glove with the previous conversation I had with Bob Anderson about the leadership circle profile and reactive and creative leadership styles. A lot has changed in our world since this was recorded in February, and some of the references to workshops may not be relevant now. I encourage you to check out the website, 3VitalQuestions.com, for information on all courses offered by David's company. Now to the interview. I spent this morning working with a group of leaders who work in the public school system in North Texas. We were focused on the very topics we're going to discuss today, which are how the simple act of directing our attention and being more mindful about how we choose to engage with people and situations makes significant positive changes to the outcomes we get. I do a lot of work with leaders in the public and private sector for and nonprofit domains And no content that I introduce is stickier and more impactful than the topic that my guest, David Emerald Wombledorf, has popularized. David's got the magic touch when it comes to making complex topics easy to understand and practice. I am amped up from the morning of spending with these leaders and could keep going on, but people are tuning in to hear from you. So (laughs) Welcome, and thank you for being here.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Leanne. I'm just excited to hear how pumped up you are. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's always a high-energy topic. People just really grab right onto it. It's very, very relatable. Your first book was The Power of TED, The Empowerment Dynamic. We're going to spend time today on your most recent book, Three Vital Questions, which has much the same content, but it's Mm -hmm. applied in a different setting. And I think we would do a huge injustice not to cover the idea of the drama triangle and the roles that get played and Mm -hmm. the empowerment dynamic, because it's just so core. So I want to make sure we get that in. But the three vital questions is what's up. So I'm going to toss the ball over to you and just ask you to go.
0: Sure. Happy to. And what I'd say is that we will definitely cover and get into whatever appropriate depth on the drama triangle and the empowerment dynamic. But you're right, The uh, The Power of Ted is a book that was published in 2005. I feel very blessed to say that it continues to sell well, so it's still an active book. And The Power of Ted was really written as a fable on self-leadership and is, in that sense, kind of more of a personal development book, although... Many organizations, and frankly, I know the way that you learned about the work was through leadership and organizational leadership context, Mm -hmm. and it got adopted by a number of organizations. And then it's a book on self-leadership because my wife, Donna Zajan, and I, who and and Donna is my business partner, we really hold as a kind of a foundational principle that all leadership really starts with self-leadership and that the way that we lead our own lives has ever. To do with the quality of leadership that we bring to our organizations, frankly, our families, our communities, our school systems, etc. Here, here. Yeah. Whereas the the three vital questions, and by the way, the subtitle of that book is "Transforming Workplace Drama," really brings the same frameworks into a different context that is really positioned for how to apply the ways of thinking, the ways of relating in relationships and ways of taking action, but to really bring it into an organizational leadership context. And let me quickly add that when I talk about leadership, that leadership is not necessarily a place on an organization chart. So this is just as relevant to me to a senior leader who is also a senior manager as it is to someone who's... Leading the way that they interact with clients and customers or students that really hold that we all have a leadership role to play in whatever our responsibilities are.
1: Love that, and like you said before, this is also content that's very relevant in our day-to-day relationships with, right. with the people we love, with our neighbors, with our communities. So it's applicable everywhere, and in fact, got it start. In the psychotherapeutic Mm -hmm. domain. Right.
0: Right. In fact, the the drama triangle is not original to me, although I've renamed it the dreaded drama triangle (laughs) because of the toxic nature of the relationship roles and dynamics. But it really comes from Dr. Stephen Cartman, who in the 1960s was an early student of transactional analysis. And for a lot of us, when we learn about it, and we'll talk about the roles in a few minutes. Really, was was a, a blinding flash of the obvious for a lot of us in the sense that once we learn about it, we go, oh, do I know that well? What does that give language to a lot of life experience. But you're right. The core of this has some much deeper roots that and I'm standing and this work is standing on the shoulders of many other people.
1: So where seems to be the best place to get started here? Do you want to start with the drama triangle or is there something even before that that you would would get started with? I
0: think what would make the most sense is in our conversation to frankly walk through the three vital questions because then we can talk about the frameworks that are contained in those questions. And again, what I would say is that What is in the three vital questions, to use a little bit of jargon, kind of transcends and includes what's in the power of TED. So virtually everything that's in TED is in the three vital questions, but it's in a different context. And without going deeply into the context, I think it is important to say that the first part of the book really gets into the cost of drama in organizations and how much time and energy can get um, sucked away from... Focusing on stakeholders and clients and customers and team members, you know, that time and energy gets trapped into non-productive behavior. And then also within the greater context is the challenge of change. And kind of the basic thesis, if you will, is that many, many change efforts in organizations fail to produce their intended results because we don't, this is my thesis, because we don't step back. And think about how we think, which is the first vital question. Think about how we relate, which is the second vital question. And to think about what kinds of actions that we're taking. So that's kind of the organizational context. And so the first vital question is actually, where are you putting your focus? And the subtext to that is, are you focusing on problems or you're focusing on outcomes? And what informs that question is, an organizing framework that I call FISB. And FISB is an acronym that stands for focus, interstate and behavior. And so the idea is that what we focus on engages some sort of emotional response and interstate that then drives our behavior. And then that first vital question gets into two basic or primary orientations that we all have experience with as, as human beings but one of which is really our default orientation. And I feel like I really need to mention, I know that last month you talked with Bob Anderson from the leadership circle. And this first vital question really comes out of my longtime association and working relationship with Bob. So I do want to do a little bit of that shout out in that he calls it the reactive and creative orientation. In this work, I just refer to it as a problem versus outcome
1: orientation. Perfect, so they're aligned with each other, but not exactly the same thing.
0: Not exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've put my own language to it with Bob's encouragement and endorsement, if you will. So the problem orientation, so the focus is on problems. Problem can come on into our experience in a variety of ways. What that engages is the interstate of some form of anxiety. And the anxiety can range anywhere from, this is a hassle, I wish it would go away, to out and out fear and terror, but there's some sort of an anxiety response which then drives our behavior and our behavior is reactive behavior and takes one of four primary forms. It's either fight, flight, freeze, or appease. We either aggress against the situation, fight, we flee, We, we, we try to get away from the situation. We may freeze and hope it goes away or we may appease to go along, to get along. And that really is our default orientation as human beings, is to be problem-focused and reactive. And there are good reasons for that.
1: Yeah, I say we come factory loaded. You know, we we, we come into the world with this built in. Like you said, there's a good reason why it's there. They're all survival mechanisms, coping mechanisms, and we don't not want to have those. They still have their place our bodies and our emotions don't really know the difference between real physical danger and emotional distress.
0: Absolutely. And the real key here is to become aware of that orientation in our lives. And you're absolutely right. I mean, to me, the real quick example is in our modern era that thank goodness for a lot of us, especially in our culture, for most of us, we are no longer in physical, most of the time, in physical survival mode. You know, we have our basic needs met, but how many likes we get on Facebook to the brain can be just as real as wondering what that rustling in the grass is that our ancestors Mm -hmm. went through as they were going through the forest. So you're absolutely right that we come pre-wired with that. And we fully hold that that orientation as a default orientation has reached its limit of effectiveness for us, frankly, as a species, and I know that's a big statement, but that we really we're at a point in time in our history and evolution that we really need to upgrade our operating system. And we refer to these orientations as operating systems. And so if I can shift, the outcome orientation represents that upgrade in the operating system. And in the outcome orientation, our focus is on what it is that we want to create it's focused on outcomes what's the outcome that we want and if we care about it our inner state our emotional response is some level of passion which could be you know anywhere from i just i care about this to a real fire in the belly and that inner state then gives us the energy to engage in creative action and taking what i call baby steps that get us closer to and or clearer about the outcome and so this first vital question is all about understanding that problem-focused, anxiety-based, reactive operating system or orientation and how we do have the capacity. And in fact, I contend that all of us have had some life experience where even though we didn't have the language, we were operating out of an outcome, passion-powered, creative operating system and accomplishing things that we really care about.
1: I agree. I think that we can all think of a time when we were really excited about bringing something into being, Mm -hmm. and it can even be cooking your favorite meal, you know, so it can be that small. And of course, we want it to be bigger than that, but we have all sorts of examples. And the other thing that I want to say, David, is that, so this morning when I was with this group of leaders- Mm -hmm. I just asked the question to me, it was a really benign question, but I asked them, What do you love about February? Huh. And then, What do you not love about February? Well, February is a big month in a school calendar mm. because they're starting to look at next year. So, on one hand, it's really busy. Right. And on the other hand, you know, they're starting to think about what changes that they want to implement for the next year, who would their new staff be, all of that. But it's just a matter of asking the question differently. Right. The only thing that changed was the question I asked and the mood in the room completely changed with each question.
0: Sure. Because the first question of what don't you like about February, or I can't remember if it's the first, what don't you like, is a problem-oriented. Yes, yes. Whereas what do you like is an outcome-oriented, even though it may not have been a particular outcome, but it's what they like. I mean, that's really one of the distinctions between these two operating systems is the problem orientation is focused on what we don't want and what we don't like, which is why we call them problems. Whereas the outcome orientation is focused on what what we do want, what we care about.
1: And what was interesting, too, in that room was oh, I didn't realize I was kind of excited about that. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's it's the same month, but it's just framed a different way. And it was just a change in focus changed right. the mood. Yeah, well,
0: and, and then one other comment, and then I want to move to the second vital question that connected to the first, but what you just shared, what strikes me is that, is that it reinforces this notion that in fact, our, the problem orientation is our default orientation, that it's When we are on autopilot, it is what is often driving what we pay attention to, what's going on in our experience. And for them to say, oh, I didn't really notice what I was focusing on and to be surprised that there are things that they love about or like about February brings to then conscious awareness that they can shift their focus to what it is that they really want and what it is that they care about. And by the way, one last thing on that first vital question is that. When we focus on outcomes and take the baby step, creative steps to go after that, we solve problems in service to those. So it's not that the outcome orientation is all goodness and light and problem free, but that we can really tackle the problems that stand in the way of what it is that we really want and what it is that we really care about.
1: Right. So, and I think that's a really important thing to bring up here too, that we're not saying that problems don't exist right. because they do, but we look at them differently and we treat them differently when we're focused on outcomes. And this is an obstacle or something that I need to resolve on the way to the bigger thing that I care about.
0: Exactly. Spot on. Spot on.
1: All right. Final yeah. question two. So, vital question two is how are you relating? And there are a couple
0: of sub points here. So it's how are you relating to others? How are you relating to your experience? And how are you relating to yourself? And are you relating in ways that produce or perpetuate drama? Or are you relating in ways that empowers others and yourself to be more resourceful, resilient, and innovative? And I really want to connect that question and those sub questions to the first vital question in that If our operating system, if our orientation is problem-focused, fear-based, and reactive in nature, that creates the environment and the conditions for the dreaded drama triangle for DDT, which I'll explain in more detail in just a moment. But I also want to say that if we can consciously choose to operate as much as possible Out of that outcome orientation, where we're focused on what we care about, that our interstate is more passion-based and we're taking creative action, that creates the conditions for a different set of relationship roles and dynamics that we call TED or the empowerment dynamic. Hmm. So let's talk about the DDT first, which again is rooted in that problem orientation, and which by the way, really is a victim orientation because we feel victimized by the problems that are coming at us. But the relationship roles and dynamics, and again, this builds on Dr. Cartman's work, and the drama triangle, the, the central role is the role of victim. And we feel we all find ourselves in that role from time to time. Anytime we're complaining, anytime we feel hopeless, powerless, et cetera, we are in that role. I want to say one other thing about the victim role, though, to make an important distinction is to me, there is a very important distinction between victimization and victimhood. And victimization is again something that we all as human beings experience. To me, I, I play with it on this proverbial scale of one to ten. And one might be I'm in the slow grocery line in the store again, and <laughs> you know, and I've got to go pick up my kids. Whereas ten is, you know, just have to turn on the news to see a lot of ten level victimization happening. Mm-hmm. That's different than victimhood. And victimhood to me is a way of being, it's an identity. And so this work really stands as a challenger or a challenge to victimhood while acknowledging that victimization goes with the terrain of being human beings. So again, we all find ourselves in that victim role from time to time. Well, in order to be a victim, one must have a persecutor, which is the second role. And the persecutor certainly could be a person, but it also could be a condition like a health condition. It could be a situation like a natural disaster, a tornado. Something like that. And that the dynamic between the persecutor and the victim is that to the victim, the persecutor becomes the dominating reality that they're focused on. And when it's interpersonal dynamics, which is really what we primarily focus on, is that persecutors, whether they're conscious of it or not, actually fear their own victimization. So they adopt a strategy, again, consciously or unconsciously that it's better to dominate than to be dominated.
1: I think of the, the bully. Yes. You know, yeah. that's, that's basically the imprint or the dynamics of a bully. Correct. Great example. And to
0: complete the triangles, so once the dynamic between the victim and persecutor comes into play, then the third role is the role of rescuer. And the rescuer can come into this relationship dynamic in a sense in one of three ways. Either the victim goes looking for a rescuer, or someone imposes themselves as a rescuer, very often with benevolent intentions that are trying to be of help, but they intervene into the situation. And sometimes there's hope for rescuers. They're hoping for there being a cop up ahead who's gonna pull over the jerky driver who just cut us off. <laughs> right. And so what the rescuer doesn't realize, and this is really important, I say this as a, as a recovering <laughs> rescuer myself, is that the rescuer actually unintentionally very often reinforces the victimization that the victim is feeling. But again, the three roles are victim, persecutor, and rescuer.
1: All right. And those are all part of the drama triangle. Yeah, the DDT. So if we really seek to
0: consciously upgrade our operating system to that outcome or what we also call a creator orientation, then the empowerment dynamic, or TED as we lovingly refer to it, it serves as an antidote to the toxicity of the DDT. And so there are three roles that correlate to the three roles in the drama triangle. And so if victim is the key or the central role in the DDT, the central role in the empowerment dynamic is the role of being a creator. So the opposite of victim or the antidote to victim is creator, and there are two major components to our stepping into and developing our capability as creators. One is to create outcomes, again, connected to the first vital question. The second that is equally important though, Leanne is that we, as creators, we really own our capacity to choose our response to whatever's going on in our lives, and even when what's going on is could easily be reacted to as a persecutor so that we are choice as to how we respond to our life circumstances. And, and what comes to mind is that I want to take a moment and, and do the other two roles, but then I, I can share an example from my own life of making this shift from the DDT to TED. So the antidote to the role of persecutor, whether it's a person, condition or circumstance or situation is to see that as a challenger. And what challengers do in our lives is they call forth learning and growth. And so being able to look at that situation and say, okay, what's here for me to learn? What capabilities do I need to really cultivate to be able to move forward toward what I really want, even in the face of the challengers? And then the third role, which is the antidote to the role of rescuer, is a helping role. But it's a helping role that leaves the power, if you will, the responsibility with the person being supported. And that is the role of coach. And I don't mean uh, necessarily professional coach, although there's uh, certainly a lot of wonderful folks who are professional coaches. But well, any of us can be in the role of coach and support to others because as a coach, what we do is we ask questions. We help people clarify their outcomes, what is it that they want, and or we help them clarify what's the current realities that they're facing and what are they dealing with and very importantly help them clarify and make their own choices around what baby steps are they going to take to move toward what they want and or choose a response to the life circumstances so the three roles of the empowerment dynamic are creator challenger and coach
1: when i hear you describing it this way in terms of the three vital questions there's a connection that I'm making or a connection that's louder and clearer this time than it ever has been. And it's the relationship to how are we relating from an outcome orientation Mm -hmm. and resilience. Yes, There's a huge, a really strong connection there for me that I don't think I've, I don't know, for some reason, it's just hitting me more directly today.
0: Well, I love hearing that. And it's the reason why in setting up the second vital we question that we say, are you producing or perpetuating drama or are you empowering others in yourself to be more resourceful, resilient, innovative? Mm-hmm. And it very much is related to the mindset or orientation that we are moving through life with.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's when you talked about the second aspect of the creator And it's our capability or power to choose our response to any situation. Right. That is where resilience really comes in because we do have a choice on whether we're going to be waylaid or knocked out by something Mm -hmm. or whether we're going to use that thing even as a challenger. You bet. Let me share
0: an example that is, it's historical and yet quite personal for me. That is at one point in my career when I was internal to a a large financial services organization and I was working in executive education, executive development. I had been recruited to this organization by two of the best bosses I've ever worked for. And about a year into being in that organization, which was very developmentally oriented, they moved people around for their professional development. The managers that I reported to that I really loved and resonated with got replaced with my worst boss ever. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And Bummer. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And uh, boy, talk about problem orientation and being in the DDT. And just so I can tell the story, I need to just say that this boss happened to be female, but my previous boss was female. So this is not at all gender related, but I know I will refer to her. As I share this, and what's ironic here is that I was already using, I didn't have the drama triangle in my leadership work at that point, but I had, because of my relationship with Bob Anderson, the reactive and creative orientations. And so I have to admit, I was deeply entrenched in the problem orientations as it related to reporting to this person, because she was 180 degrees, different philosophy than what had drawn me to the organization. And yet part of what's important here is I loved what I was doing. I loved my role in the organization, but I saw her as a problem. I mean, I I never went to a doctor to get diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I was developing ulcers. It was that bad, that intense of a situation. And clearly I felt victimized because what happened to these wonderful people I used to work for Saw her as a persecutor, and I don't want to overly diss her, but there were a lot of ways in which she was persecuting to a lot of people around her, not just me. And then, as it relates to rescuer, for a long time, I was hoping that someone would finally see what was going on, and somehow, I guess it was a hoped for rescuer, that someone would step in. I went through months and months and months of living in that reality. And then, literally, one day in what I call my quiet time in the morning, All of a sudden, I got that duh moment. I wish I could say it was an epiphany, but it's more of a duh. It was like, I really got that I was seeing her as a problem that was causing a lot of anxiety and that I was reacting to her. And it's like, no, I need to accept the reality that she is who she is and how she is and to shift my focus to what it is that I really want. And again, just to reiterate that I really loved what I was doing. So what I wanted was to be able to do the kind of services, the leadership training, the organization development processes and interventions, and to really focus on what it is that I wanted. And so as I shifted that focus, one of the things that I can now overlay, and again, I didn't have this at the time, is that I had stepped into really that creator orientation and seeing myself as a creator and seeing her as a challenger. Because I can tell you that although I would not want to do this experience for anything in the world, looking back, I would not trade it. Because as a challenger, I learned so much from this relationship about how I wanted to be, what it is I really wanted to be about, when and if I found myself in a formal leadership role, which I did. I'll give you a little bit of the rest of the story. I ended up, after many twists and turns, with her job but that was not my intention. It was just, what is here for me to learn and, and to get clearer about what I wanted my focus to be? I wouldn't be doing this work had I not had that experience. And I turned to some trusted individuals in one in executive development, one who was the head of HR, to, uh, uh, frankly, in Texas, come to think of it. Mm. And I asked them to coach me. So I sought out a coaching role. So again, you know, I didn't have Ted at the time, but as I look back, I really shifted my orientation which allowed me to have a totally different set of relationship roles and dynamics and uh, it fundamentally shifted the trajectory of my professional life and ended up even though I there was no guarantees ended up with a frankly a better outcome than I could have even imagined.
1: It sounds like a bit of a crucible. Yes. At that time absolutely. and you really got formed and forged and sharpened during that time, which led to kind of an up-level, or as Bob was saying on the previous podcast, a booting up Uh of your own capabilities because of how you responded to the situation with the worst boss ever.
0: That's right. And I can take this story now into the third vital question.
1: Excellent. Good.
0: which, Which is, what actions are you taking? And are you merely reacting to the problems of the moment, or are you taking uh, creative and generative action, including the solving of problems and service to outcomes? So in this situation in my career, I somewhat consciously, because the dynamic tension is what informs what we call dynamic tension informs the third vital question. It's really an iteration of Robert Fritz's structural creative tension that has three basic steps I want to describe that and then I'll connect it to the story is that the three primary pieces of a uh, dynamic tension which is about creating outcomes by the way before I do that let me just say that if I want to connect up all three questions so <laughs> our, if our orientation is problem focused and we're engaged in relationship roles and dynamics of, that are DDT based then The actions that we take are merely going to be reactive. We're just going to react to what's going on around us. And in that DDT, the reality is that reaction begets reaction begets reaction. Whereas
1: really short term fixes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if we shift
0: our focus to that outcome, creator orientation, cultivate empowered relationships, then the action that we take is focused on how do we create And go after the outcomes that we want to create. And that takes us into dynamic tension. And the three basic steps of dynamic tension is first and foremost to focus on the outcome and to be as clear as we can on the outcome. But the outcome can sometimes be clear and concrete, other times it may be more vague and directional. For me in that time of my life, the outcome was kind of in between. It was it was not clear and concrete, but I knew I loved. Leadership training I knew I loved, working with teams and organizations. And then the second step is to step back and tell the truth about what's my current reality in relation to the outcome. And that engages a tension between what we want and what we're currently experiencing. And looking at current reality, part of what we've added to assessing current reality is to look at what's going on currently that supports or is aligned with the outcome that we want to create. And there were a lot of things going on in my experience that supported that outcome. One, not to pat myself on the back, but the evaluations we get from the leadership programs that I ran and and helped facilitate the feedback we'd receive from the organization development interventions, a lot of supportive things. And then the second aspect of current reality is what's inhibiting our ability to create what we want which we've already somewhat ref- alluded to, is that that's where problems exist. What are the problems that we want to overcome because they stand in the way of what we really want? And there was a lot of inhibiting factors in the personality of this person and some of the dynamics that resulted in the large organization as a result of that. So we engage the tension between the outcome and telling the truth about current reality. And then if we're telling the truth about current reality, the third piece of dynamic tension is to then determine and to take baby steps that move from our current reality toward our envisioned outcome. And baby steps to me are things that as an individual or a team, we can choose to do that tend to be short term. And organizational terms, Leanne, it could be things as simple as I need to have a conversation. Or we need to go gather this information. It's just whatever the next little step is that's going to help us move toward and/or get clearer about the outcome.
1: Fantastic, and I it seems those can also be practices, you know, yeah. like daily or weekly practices oh, or habits mm-hmm. that you can undertake in order to, like, if one of the things that you need to do is build some capacity somewhere that you don't have in a certain mm-hmm. area, well, you can undertake some practices and yep you know there's something else that i wanted to say about current reality mm-hmm. do you include in current reality your mood or mindset or the narrative uh, that you currently have about the current reality in absolutely. the current reality
0: yeah absolutely and to, this may be overly simplistic but one of the things that we really emphasize is the identification and naming of feelings and why that's so important, especially in the organizational context, is that I think there is implicitly, in some environments actually explicitly, the assumption that, you know, this is just business, this is just work, there's no no place for, you know, feelings of being really identified and dealt with. I'll make it a real short version of the story, but when I first saw the impact of what happens when we don't allow feelings to be acknowledged. And the story is actually back in this financial services institution when I still had the great bosses. Mm-hmm. And the situation was that we were having a meeting around what budget we had to work with. We had submitted our budgets, run it up for a real flagpole. Of course, what gets allocated is less than what you asked for. And this was the meeting where we needed to talk about how are we going to shift our plans to stay within the budget and as we got into the meeting my boss's boss it was my boss who was great and my boss's boss who was also great his name was Jeff and Jeff said okay folks this is what we had to deal with what changes are we going to make and the mood in the room was like trying to start a car in Minneapolis in January. <laughs> it was just like no energy and finally somebody said you know I actually said, Jeff, can I just say something? Jeff said, sure. And he said, and th- this person said, I'm really angry. And Jeff, to his credit, instead of saying, well, get over it or, you know, we'll tough. this is what we got to deal with. Jeff's response, he says, ah, got it. You're angry. How's everybody else feeling? Now, most managers would never ask that question because
1: they're afraid to be opening Pandora's box. Right. They'll say that. I don't want to yeah. open Pandora's box. So I don't ask those kind of questions.
0: And I swear to you, three minutes of clock time, this is what happened. Somebody else said, well, I'm feeling really frustrated. Jeff said, ah, you're feeling frustrated. Got it. What else? Well, I'm really disappointed. Ah, you're disappointed. Got it. What else? And so what he was doing was allowing the feelings of that current reality to be named. He didn't add to them. He didn't put any gas on the fire, so to speak. And after about three minutes of clock time, Somebody said, well, okay, we're feeling frustrated, angry, disappointed, and this is the hand we've been dealt. What are we going to do? And we got creative. And so I share that to say that in assessing current reality, it's important to attend to the feelings, both in terms of inhibitors, that story really illustrates inhibitors, but also the supports. Mm -hmm. I can be both excited and scared, right? It's like, I'm excited about this opportunity. And I'm scared because I currently don't really know how this is going to happen. So to really pay attention to that inner state is absolutely critical.
1: Good. I'm glad we talked about that. And I, that's a great story. But what I loved about what Jeff did as well is he didn't try to fix anybody's feelings. He just said, yep, that's what it is. That's part of our current reality. Mm -hmm. Anything else, you know, but did not try to smooth it over or make anybody feel differently. That's just. It was what it was. Exactly. So
0: those are the three vital questions. Where are you putting your focus? How are you relating? And what actions are you taking? And for those who maybe have read TED, the Fisby and Orientations and the DDT and TED and Dynamic Tension are in that book, but it's more focused on how one leads their own lives. Whereas in Three Vital Questions, a little bit different sequencing, a little bit different context, but how to apply that to organizational realities like the story I just told.
1: That is my experience in reading both books is that the second book is even better for an organizational context because it's giving organizational examples. And both of the books are told through a parable, which is part of your uh, superpower is Uh being able to take these concepts and then put them in a story that's much more engaging than just talking about concepts. And the second book happens uh, in an organization with a custodian.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. the, the, The wise sage is actually a custodian, not a janitor, a custodian, which there's a real important subtle difference there. I've
1: actually never heard you go through the models and the concepts through the lens of the three vital questions in this way. So this was a first time for me. And and I really enjoyed hearing how it unfolded. and, And my mind was going, how's this connection going to be made? And it's fantastic. And another great thing about this is that I had some insights that I didn't have before, having it told this way. And by the way, I was telling someone that I've read The Power of Ted several times. It's the same book. It's just that I'm a different person (laughs) every time I read it. And so now the whole darn book is marked up. (laughs) David, is there anything that you want to direct our attention to anything coming up, anything new that's going up on your website, or I will definitely put some links in my show notes and everything, but talk to me about what's going on.
0: Sure. I appreciate the question. And as you know, there's actually now two websites. One is thepowerofted.com and the other is three, the number three, the numeral three, vitalquestions.com. And uh, we just this week announced, or actually scheduled, we haven't actually announced, that we will be offering a two-day, what we call deeper dive for people who might want to go deeper experientially into the three vital questions that's going to be in Dallas at the Stegen facility on July 15th and 16th. Fantastic. Yeah. And another thing for people who are in either internally or externally who might want to train three vital questions we have a uh, a trainer certification if people would go to threevitalquestions.com when the certifications are announced we'll have at least two more this year i know one will be in sometime in november on the east coast and we'll have one mid year somewhere so that will be on the uh, the website and then either website Quite frankly, when you go to it, there is a pop-up that happens. If people would like to receive our weekly, what we call essay or newsletter called TED Works, and it's really co-written, it's primarily written by Donna. I get editorial privileges. (laughs) And that goes out on a weekly basis, easy to sign up for. Those are some avenues. The thing about the TED Works is that it's a great way to keep the principles in front of you. And it's short. It's uh, typically no more than 600 words, and um, very often we're sharing our own life experiences. Just because we teach this stuff doesn't mean we have it nailed, and we <laughs> yeah, so we bring our own experience many times into those essays as we're continuing to live into that creator orientation and to develop our capacity as creators, challengers, and coaches.
1: Like I said, I will have all of this in the show notes and there will be various social postings on things. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday afternoon. I know we're both at the end of of (laughs) long weeks, but it's just always such a joy. I feel uplifted after our conversation here and excited about new ways to to talk about this with the folks that I work with. Well,
0: Leanne, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. So I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I look forward to more to come.
1: All right. Well, I'm sure I'll see you in July and hopefully before then. Alrighty. Thank All right. You. Take care. You too. If you like what you heard today and the direction this podcast is pointed, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on iTunes, leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care.